Welcome back to Podcast 22 of 2022. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. You can follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow us the Osbreakers. Follow us on social media slash the Osbreakers. This episode is being brought to you by MyBookie.ag. For a 100% sign-up bonus, please visit MyBookie. Use the promo code, the Osbreakers. Terms, conditions, location apply. If you'd like to help us out with the cost-sponsored website, the podcast, we'd love to help you out. Please visit theosbreakers.com, click shop, and become a member and pick any of our winning handicappers for March Madness or any other events before the line moves. You, you can also access our Discord channel and chat with the handicappers. And if nothing else, please visit theosbreakers.com and become a free picks newsletter subscriber. All right, my friends, this should be my last show of the week for podcasts, just keeping it rolling. And this show, we have two monster-sized guests for you in Mr. Kyle Hunter, where it all began from Hunter Sports Picks, and Mr. Greg Peterson from VSIN to break down the first couple days of the NCAA tournament. Can't wait for that. Going to hit every game on Friday with Kyle and kind of see what Greg wants to do from a game-to-game basis, just based upon time. So really excited to get into the tournament with two of the best guys that I know. Before we get into that, if you are listening to this podcast and it's before 9.15 Pacific time, you can still get into our bracket challenge for free where you can win a chance at a share of $500 paying out for first, second, and third place just get the article at theodsbreakers.com. It's right on the front page. Uh, take, make a f- five-star review for our podcast. Send a screenshot to an admin at theodsbreakers.com, and you are qualified to win free money. And we will up that if we get enough brackets in. Up to two brackets per person. Get them done before you forget. Now, I know there's a lot of hype over the NCAA tournament, and you know what? It's just fun. Because these teams and these kids are playing for their lives, right? They're playing to stay in. But this does not mean that these units that you're betting with are more valuable than they are betting on a game in December, betting on baseball in the summer, betting on football, or betting on anything that you bet on throughout the year because you still have to execute proper bankroll management, all right? That's important. There's going to be a lot of narratives coming in. You're not. It's not like you can expect to strike it rich in the NCAA tournament just because these lines are also tight. And if you pick the wrong conferences to be stronger than others or whatever you do in your handicap, you are going to mess up. <laughs> and there is absolutely no reason to get over-invested in the tournament. If you're going to do parlays, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, you're adding massive variance to your plays. I rarely give out big parlays more than two to four legs at the most, and they'd have to be pretty big to get a unit back, right? Maybe plus 110 or something. But that does not mean they are not fun to do. I have a little side pot that I have some fun with that I'm going to do some three-game parlays, some five-game parlays. Who knows how crazy it will get? 
But that's just going to be for fun money. My investment money that I use for sports betting is based upon the sides and the totals and the derivative market that we have to access. So just remember, don't make this a miserable experience for you by overbetting past your bounds. You know, make it so you still enjoy these games because they are fun and there's going to be some great stories. There's going to be some bracket busters coming in and you might not be on that team, right? But you have to just remember that this is all about the kids in college that for the most part anyway are not getting paid from their name and image and likeness. Some are now, but um, you know, these kids are one and done, right? You can't lose otherwise you are out of the ncaa tournament and that's what makes this tournament so special compared to all the other sports in the world all right just want to give a shout out as well to all of our new premium subscribers thank you so much for supporting us and buying into us and our handicapping abilities can't wait to get into the ncaa tournament and find some value for you guys it really goes a long way in helping us with all of our expenses and keeping this thing going and moving forward throughout the years. All right. Well, we're going to get Kyle Hunter on. And I quick want to mention we're going to combine this show with Better Odds Sports Betting because we are not going to do a show with the games starting so early on Friday. We might do some TikTok stuff, maybe a quick uh, video play. You can check that out on Twitter or you can check that out at theoddsbreakers.com. We are definitely as active as possible, but at the same time, we are extremely busy live betting, analyzing the card, watching the line moves as these games are being played. So thank you for understanding that. And without further ado, let's bring on our first guest combined with Better Odds Sports Betting, Mr. Kyle Hunter. What's happening, Kyle? March Madness, my friend. We are streaming. We're on our YouTubes and we're on your Twitter. I'm real excited for this show, my man. Uh, lots to talk about. You got your Nova hat on. What's that shirt you got? Is, is, is that an Oddsbreaker shirt, Kyle? Yeah, it almost looks like an Oddsbreaker shirt. Yeah, it is indeed. <laughs> um, I hadn't seen that one for a while and I found that one today and thought today was a great time to wear it. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for doing that. Yeah, I got my uh, polo on here. So uh, hopefully that brings us some, uh, I guess, extra insight for today because we have a lot to talk about. March Madness, man, just blowing through the month. And we are here for the NCAA tournament. Very excited, man. And uh, my son finally uh, filled out his bracket today, Kyle. And um, I got to tell you, I I tried to stop him. I tried but he put all number one seeds in the final four. I, I couldn't stop him, man. <laughs> yeah, I had a hard time uh, stopping my son with the chalk as well. So <laughs> it seems like that's uh, that's pretty common. So yeah, if you want to take on my son and Kiev's son, get in that oddsbreakers bracket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't like heavy chalk, then you got a couple ones that you're playing with right there, man. Well, I'm real excited to talk to you today because uh, we're going to do Friday games, and but before. We get into the Friday games. There are some angles that I always love to ask you about, Kyle. Um, First, we have to bring up what happened last year. And what happened last year was first half unders. First half unders were money last year. As a matter of fact, after the first day, I noticed that. And I got on all, like in one quadrant, I believe, 
not even sure if it was one quarter. I, I took seven first half unders and I won six of them last year. So what are your thoughts on the, that same angle for this year? Well, I mean, if you look at the long term for the first half under, the first half under is not too much different than it is for the full game under. In fact, uh, the first half under dating back to 2011, they don't have odds or we don't have numbers as far back for first halves as we do for full game, but uh, 344 and 316, 52.1%. So if you were just blindly betting every first half under, you'd actually be down a little bit based on the the juice, certainly. Uh, last year, I can see the big spike up on the graph from just a massive, massive run. I will say, uh, yeah, last year was a unique year with the COVID situation and the uh, the pod. You know, you got the all the players playing in the same spot. I don't know. I mean, I know the odds makers are adjusting to these types of things, and I'm a little bit concerned about everybody just blindly betting all unders. I believe uh, the unders, the first half unders, both hit last night, didn't they, Kiev? Yeah, certainly. Um, and I got to tell you, I'm going to be a little more careful, but I'm still going to be wary of it because I think what happened with the first half unders is – they got a little bit shaded to the under um, because of the officiating. I think the officiating pushed it down a little bit. I think they swallowed their whistles a lot, and there wasn't as much foul calls, which means better defense is played against the offense. So I'm expecting maybe a little more, bit more of that, kind of like in those final uh, conference tournament games, Kyle. Yeah, and uh, one, one point that I think could help uh, viewers and listeners quite a bit is uh, these first half unders have actually done better, Kiev, when they're a tighter line, when the full game spread is, is smaller. So five, you know, minus five to five, uh, where the full game unders have done better when we have a large spread. That makes sense because full game unders uh, have done better with the large spread throughout the regular season as well. Usually teams let up a little bit if there's a big blowout at the end of the game. Mm -hmm. And in the first half, it doesn't matter what the spread is. Obviously there is no overtime. There's no foul fest at the end of the first half. So uh, I think if I were looking at first half unders, I would want to look toward games that have a close spread. If I'm looking at full game unders, I'd prefer to have a game that has a large spread. No, that makes total sense because you know if you're going to get blown out, there's a chance that the team just wants to run the clock and get out, stay healthy for the next round. So I love that. Always thought about that angle for years, and we have to keep reminding ourselves and listeners about that. You know, if you're going to take an over and it's a team that could get blown out, remember that they're going to slow it down when they're up by 20, 25 points. Very important stuff. And yeah, with the uh, with the unders itself. If it's going to be very tight, Foul Fest definitely take games over. And uh, I needed a little help uh, last night for the Texas Southern one. So I was glad that uh, the Foul Fest came through for me. So let's move on to some trends, man. Um, what, is, is there anything that we should be thinking about coming into the tournament? So I'll just give some uh, general ones here to start with. The round of 64 only. Underdogs are 253 and 246. So we see no big edge one way or the other um favorites have done better in recent years though so if you had looked at this two or three years ago you would have thought you should just blindly be betting underdogs if you look at this just in the last couple of years the favorites have done well uh probably just regression to the mean you know it's hard to just uh take a big angle like that and think there's going to be some huge edge 
The unders have done a bit better than the overs have in the round of 64, but again, just barely. This is less than 52%. Um, as far as more specific angles that I think would help people out here, um, teams who have covered 47% of the time or less throughout the regular season. So you're talking about teams that really haven't been making money to sports bettors. They've actually been a really good bet in the big dance. I think this makes a lot of sense. Uh, those teams covering 47% of the time or less are 182 and 149. That's 55% ATS since 2006. And if you combine that with getting less than 50% of the bets, so 49% of the spread bets or less, and covering 47% of the time or less, it goes to 103 and 72, which is 58.9%. So you want a favorite or a team who's a quality team uh, that, that is kind of being thrown out. Uh, in fact, if you look to just the favorites versus the underdog, the, the favorites are going to do better in this role than do the underdogs. So a lot of times we have favorites that are kind of out of favor, I guess you'd say. Hmm. Um, it, it makes sense to both of us. I think you know, you, you've seen teams that burn money throughout the course of the regular season in Kiev. So many of these people say, well, look at this team's ATS record for the season. I don't really care what the team's ATS record is for the season. I mean, right. that's adjusted to by the odds makers. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to say, well, they're 10 and 15 against the spread so far this year. That doesn't matter in this game at all. A lot of those games, they were probably laying a big number and now they're not. Uh, so teams that have been thrown out, uh, probably good ones to keep an eye on here uh, as we go through March Madness. And this is not a round of 64 one. This is just in general for the NCAA tournament. Yeah, that's interesting. There's some public dogs out there, you know, and <laughs> a lot of those uh, might be affected here. Uh, you know, I made a couple plays against some of those, some of those narratives. You know, South Dakota State, a lot of people on that one. So <laughs> keep that one in mind for sure. Awesome. How about any arena uh, venue or venue trends, Kyle? Is there anything that we should be aware of? Let me hit you with a couple others before we switch over to that. I probably oh. should just rolled right. Oh, sure. Yeah, but. yeah. But uh, I, I always want to try to give several of these angles. Let's just mention the conferences real quick here as far as which have done the worst and which have done the best. The Mountain West, 1938-1 ATS since 2006. So they've been burning money. West Coast Conference, 25-38-1 ATS. Um, actually, St. Mary's has done pretty bad. Uh, that that has led to that quite a bit. And that Gonzaga has not covered the huge numbers. Uh, so, I mean, WCC is a weak conference. So once they get in the big dance, it can be a, you know, a pretty big upgrade in talent they're playing against. And as far as teams that have been, or conferences that have been covering, the CAA is 22 and 10 ATS, really good. Um, some of that was a little ways back. We remember when the CAA was really good. Remember George Mason making mm -hmm. those runs and yep. some of those teams back through the years. Uh, and the Pac-12, 93, 73, and 3. And I don't have to tell you, Kiev, but the Pac-12 has been absolute money here in the last couple seasons. So I don't know if they can keep it up, but they, they've been extremely, extremely good. And then one more I want to throw out, a 10 seed or higher. So uh, or I guess you could say lower, however you want to say it, 10, 11, 12, 13 seed that is favored is 53 and 40 against the spread. So when you take one of those uh, 10 seeds or worse and, and favor them, they've actually done pretty well. Uh, I think this makes sense as well. Um, you're not going to see this happen too often. It's not a large sample size. I'm not saying it's terribly predictive, but I do think it's interesting and something that we should keep our eye on going forward. I think of Michigan 
when you think of that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, 10 seeds that are favored. Good stuff, Kyle. Anything else on those trends, or should we move into venues? Uh, no, I mean, we talked about a, a general some general trends, and I'm going to save one of my angles for as we do a game breakdown because I, I think it's a pretty good one. Let's save it. So everybody right. that's listening, make sure you stay tuned in. Fantastic. All right. So what about the venues then? Are these places, uh, is there any good places to play for totals or bad places? So Kiev, we talk about it in conference tournaments. I mean, we have some epic, really good conference tournaments as far as, you know, Conference USA playing down there with the double court. You've got uh, Missouri Valley Conference, which uh, Enterprise Arena has just been straight unders. I mean, the rims there are ridiculous. Uh, it's, It's tough to make anything unless it's nothing but net. There are none of them that stand out to that degree. And I actually had a hard time finding ones that even really kind of stood out at all. PPG Paints Arena in Pittsburgh is 30 and 20 to the under. So it's not a huge sample size. I wouldn't say that I'd want to be just blindly betting unders based on that, but it has gone under. And some of the unders there have gone under by a decent amount. So versus um, what the line was, the mean under, is off by quite a bit. So I would say PPG Paints Arena is an under arena. It's just, I don't know how large of an under arena it is. And then Pfizer Forum in Milwaukee is 28 and 22 to the under. A lot of these other courts, there's not much data on. I I hate to say ones that are four and two or something like that, just because, you know, such a small sample size, we have no idea what to do with that. But those are the only two that that even had any kind of trends that stood out at all. All right, so Pittsburgh, you have Houston versus UAB and Illinois versus Chattanooga. And in Milwaukee, you have LSU versus Iowa State and Wisconsin versus Colgate. So there you go for those arenas. Good stuff, man. Yeah, it's uh, always interesting to look at that and want to factor that in. Anything that could give us an edge is very important. So great stuff for that, my man. But you ready to get into some of these Friday games then? Of course I am. Let's do it. All right, my man. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm gonna share my screen for anybody that's uh, you know potentially watching this, and I want to bring up the spreads here, probably from DraftKings, and we'll start here. It's like t- a couple games were just added, right? Uh, we had Indiana win and Texas Southern win yesterday, so we gotta remember those two handicap as well if we haven't haven't done it yet. Loyola. Versus Ohio State is the first game I'm seeing here for Friday morning. Ohio State is now minus one. This was Pickham. The total is 132.5. Kyle, I'm going to let you start out being the big Buckeye fan that you are. So, Kiev, you know this about me. I'm a big Buckeyes fan, but I'm also a realist. (laughs) Ohio State's not very good. I mean, especially here at the end of the season. Kyle Young is a key injury for Ohio State. Um, He's had a concussion. He's had multiple concussions throughout his career. Uh, I know they're being very careful with him. Young is really important to both their defense and their offense. Uh, When Young is not playing, Justin Arns is out there a lot more. And I can tell you, Justin Arns is constantly exposed on the defensive end. Other teams will switch to him on purpose, then go one-on-one consistently. Just a major liability on defense. Um, he hasn't even been making his threes. So, I mean, it's, he, he's supposed to be a really good shooter who hasn't really been making his threes, and he's a, a problem on defense. Frankly, Ohio State looks bad late in the season. Only that win against Michigan State. And Michigan State, I don't know that they're very good either. Um, 
Ohio State doesn't force any turnovers on defense. If you don't for, force turnovers on defense, you have to at least be good at defense just in the half court. And Ohio State's not. They're not good at defense. Um, Loyola is a team to me that's rounding into form late in the season. They run a lot of pick and roll ball screen action, a ton. Ohio State is 210th defending pick and roll ball, sc ball screen action. So as a Buckeye, I hope I'm wrong here, Kiev, but I'm putting Loyola to win this game in my bracket. Uh, nobody can can say that I'm always just going to back the Buckeyes, that's for sure. Uh, hopefully the football <laughs> season will be brighter, but I, I'm not thinking too positively here for Ohio State in this guy, game. And I will say Branham is a good freshman. I hope he comes back next year. I'll probably go pro after this season. But uh, Liddell and Branham is basically all they've got right now. The rest of the team's really been struggling. Um, I would bet Loyola if I were betting this game, Kia. Kyle, you do not fit the definition of a Homer fan whatsoever. Quit all your Ohio State groups immediately, man. <laughs> man, I, I look for information today on Zed Key and Kyle Young, and I, I couldn't find it. They said, nope, game time decision. And if, if you're a coach, screw the fans. You're not going to release that information. That'd be stupid. Yeah, you know, keep, keep people wondering. I don't see, I don't know what the heck's wrong with Kyle, right? With, with Aaron's. Um, or Kyle Young, I'm sorry, Kyle Young. Uh, what, was he sick? What kind of virus does he have? I, I, did you hear anything? Initially, they said he was sick, and then it came out that it was just another concussion, and he's had like two or three of those here in the past you know, 24 months. So he's had major issues with concussions, and I believe he's had some dizziness and issues with that, so they're trying to get him to clear the protocol. Yeah, totally. Okay, so we're not going to know, and that makes this unbettable for me, but this should be a, a, a home game for Ohio State, it being in Pittsburgh, right? Um, I think that uh, Sister Jean could work some magic there, though. You know, I don't know how Christian of a city that Pittsburgh is. So, I mean, here's the here's the thing. This is a stay-away game for me. Um, Ohio State has a big advantage near proximity, but Loyola's got the advantage in the three. Who's going to balance out, right? I mean, Loyola... Is a great three-point shooting team. Ohio State only ranks 141st against it. And Ohio State's defense hasn't been showing up. They're just that up-and-down team that shows up sometimes. And I remember they just went to Michigan and beat them up without uh, without uh, Liddell, I think. Yeah, it was without Liddell. It's, it's like they're very hard to bet on. I'm staying away from this game, Kyle. Yeah, I can't blame you. Let's move on to the next one then. Jacksonville State versus Auburn. Auburn minus 15 and a half. Total is 138. Do you think that Bruce Pearl um, is is in his face for the for the team in their faces for that horrible finish in the SEC, man? <laughs> I think he's probably flipped probably. out on them. Yeah, he's, pro he's probably uh, been pr pretty emotional. He's an emotional guy. If you watch Bruce Pearl on the sidelines, I always think he's going to have a heart attack, but, um, you know, I, I think he might even revoke their NIL money if they lose this game, Kyle. So if you have a survivor pool and you like Auburn here, that's not a bad one. I think they're pretty much nine and zero uh, in first round games. It might even be against the spread off the relook. I just saw a tweet on that. Uh, Jacksonville State, fortunate to be in the big dance. Bellarmine was the one that won it, right? But they weren't eligible to dance. So that's important. The only big advantage here I see, or advantage, I'm not even going to call it big, is that Jacksonville State ranks 11th in three-point shooting, but they're stepping up into a, another class that they're not used to. It's it's just a massive matchup nightmare for them. Um, 
I would like to lay it with Auburn, but unfortunately what's keeping me away, Kyle, is they're away from home ranking is 336, and Jacksonville's is 13th. So that's keeping me off the game. I would consider an under. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I kind of like Jacksonville State here, so I'll lean against what you had there on that one. Um, Jacksonville State, to me, is is better than a regular 15 seed. I think they probably are the best 15 seed in this. Uh, Ray Harper is a really good coach, too. 22-9-1 against the spread in the NCAA tournament. Harper does a really good job game planning, for sure. They're seventh in shot quality, spacing on offense, 12th in shot making, knocking down 38% of their threes. I mean, you want an underdog that can make shots if you're if you're grabbing 15 and a half points against a good team. I do think Auburn is a bit overvalued in general. I'm not really high on Auburn to make a, a really deep run here. They do thrive on teams who are weak in transition defense. Jacksonville State's 86th in transition defense, so pretty solid. My biggest concern about Jacksonville State is their turnovers. Auburn gets a lot of quick points off steals, and Jacksonville State is prone to turnovers. Uh, you just mentioned the away from home rating. Jacksonville State's excellent. Auburn 336. Also, Auburn 338 in momentum. Uh, so Auburn is not closing the season strong. I like two things in this game. I like Jacksonville State and I like the under. I haven't bet either one of those yet. I will have a bet on at least one of those two. I'm not sure which one I like better yet, Kiev, but uh, I think Jacksonville State is going to slow this game down to a crawl. They don't want to run with Auburn. They won't do it. Now, if Auburn gets way ahead early, that certainly hurts the under. If this stays close longer, I think this could be a really low-scoring game. Uh, I, I think my stronger lean as of right now is Jacksonville State. I know it's uh, it's not going to be a popular play, but I think this one could be a bit closer than some people think. Well, look at that. The contrarian side on Jacksonville State. No, I like it. Um, and I, I think that Auburn is going to have to show up their defense too. So my stronger lean in, uh, is the under rather than Auburn itself. So just wanted to make sure that was known. Montana State versus Texas Tech. Texas, and here's another you know defensive matchup possibly. Uh, Texas Tech, one of the best defenses, I think number one. Texas Tech is laying 15 points, 15.5, I believe. And I'll pull up DraftKings here so you guys can see it. The total on this game is 131.5. That's a pretty low total, Kyle. And now it's down to 14.5, I'm noticing. So what are your thoughts on this one? Well, Kiev, I think there's no game that we're going to talk about today that, that it matters more how this game's officiated. Uh, if you watch Texas Tech games, they are really aggressive on defense. They're a very good defense. Um, they do commit a lot of fouls. If the refs let them play in this game, Montana State has no chance. They cannot beat Texas Tech if Texas Tech's able to bump them around. Having said that, you know, Montana State gets the line a lot. If the refs are really whistle happy, Montana State shoots 75% from the line. Now, to be fair, they play in a conference where everybody does a lot of fouling. There's no good defenses. Montana State's offensive stats are skewed a bit because they're from the big sky. Uh, Texas Tech going to be the best defense they've played this year, clearly. Montana State 12th away from home rating and Texas Tech 357th. And Kiev, we've had this discussion before. Uh, Texas Tech isn't very good away from home, but part of the reason their away from home rating is so bad is that they've been so amazing at home that the difference there is pretty drastic. Uh, this is a neutral court. It's obviously not Lubbock, but 
I don't I don't think that I want to take Montana State in a game like this because there's such a huge class difference from the Big Sky to the Big 12. I mean, the depth of the Big 12 and then look at the Big Sky and how weak those teams are. Uh, I see a decent amount of people betting Montana State in this game. I don't want to bet Montana State in this one. I, I, I think that this is a Texas Tech or pass if I had to bet the side. Um, I don't want to bet the total ahead of time either, like I said, because we never knew who's going to be officiating this game. If this is a ref show, this is going to go way over. If they let this one play, it's going to go under. So I think maybe a live look at this game would make more sense. If you see early on that they're calling everything, then it might be a good Montana State or overlook. If they're calling nothing, Texas Tech probably wins by quite a bit here. All right. Good call on this one. Yeah, over is interesting because Texas Tech has got such a great defense. It makes me a little nervous thinking that way. But what I will say is that Montana State did some great things this year. But like you said, Kyle, massively stepping up in competition. And the Red Raiders are better in every facet of the game than Montana State is, minus the three-point shot. The strange thing for me is the total. I wonder why it's actually this high. I thought it would be a little bit lower. Maybe it's because you and you see something and obviously leaning over. But um, I, I just saw Texas Tech hold two teams to like 50-some points each time in their tournament. You know, it's uh, that's pretty low for holding the competition in the Big 12 like that, the top competition. The biggest well, – go ahead. I want to say I don't know that I lean over pre-flop. I, I only lean over if I think they're calling a lot of fouls early on. I, I don't oh, really love okay. betting Texas Tech over. Okay. So no, thanks for – Even you saying I lean to the over makes me a little bit nervous <laughs> because Texas Tech's such a good under team. So I'm I'm a neutral pre-flop here on this one, but if they're calling a lot of fouls early, I could see this one going over. The biggest part of this for me – is that Montana State is a much better away-from-home team than Texas Tech. Texas Tech ranks 357th away from home. That's not good. And Montana State ranks 22nd away from home. So I find that interesting. Now, Texas Tech, I've noticed, has not been blowing out teams away the way the way they've been doing it. Um, I, I think... It's just been kind of recent that Texas Tech's just been taking their wins by five, six points. And I know it's a lot harder competition, but I think Montana State hangs here. I took the 15 and a half, and it's now down to 14 and a half, Kyle, for uh, 1.5 stars. But I, I, I say find a 15, I'd be okay with it. All right, yeah, I, I'm going to stay pretty neutral on this one in game, this game and just watch for what's going on during the game because uh, we know how much officiating can change the game, and, and I, I want to stay away from it beforehand. No problem. And we have a quick question. I just want to cover it real quick uh, from EB2116321. Hope you guys can chat about the Colorado State-Michigan. Thank you. So here's the deal. And Michigan, they're due to win. You know why? Well, because you have... Lost, win, lost, win, lost, win. I mean, just looking at their crazy record this year. Michigan's been absolutely nuts. Um, the big problem for Michigan is they're missing Devontae Jones today. He's hurt. I believe he's got a concussion that he's sitting out. And, you know, Jones has been their top assist. You know, 29.3 has been their assist rate. You know, he's a point guard running running the show there a lot, you know, and I, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about that. And that line dipped from two and a half down to one and a half with that announcement. Here's what I'm not worried about. Hunter Dickinson is seven, one, 
and Diabate is 6'11". He might even be seven by now after growing another half semester with how young he is. Colorado State runs everything pretty much through David Roddy. And David Roddy is not that tall. And I think that Michigan just has a massive size advantage over this team. Just like Kyle said about the Mountain West, I don't like this at all. And I think there's a problem with the officiating in the Mountain West. I think that they favor the defense. And it has to do with a lot of San Diego State games and Boise State. You see a lot of that, Kyle. But um, I think that it hurts them in the tournament because the refs swallow their whistles there. And now teams are playing the same defense that, they are, that they've been doing all year. And they're getting called for it. They're going to be like, what's going on here? You know, I, I jumped up straight up in the air and you just called the foul. I barely moved my arm. Well, that, that can happen. I think Michigan wins this game, even without uh, their player, with, even without Devontae Jones. Um, I don't love it. A, a small play probably worth it, but that, that's where I'm at on that one. Anything quick, Kyle, before we move on? Yeah, I would want to bet Michigan in this one. Uh, Jones is a key injury, though, and uh, you know, minus one and a half. I got to think about this one some more, Kiev, because okay. I was ready to fire before I heard about that injury. Uh, and now, now it's kind of a question mark. I don't know if I'm going to bet this one personally. The only way I could bet the game would be Michigan. I think Colorado State is overseeded as a sixth six seed. You know, how did they get a six seed when Boise got an eight? That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I don't think that makes much sense to anybody. Uh, you know, Boise goes and wins the tournament and gets dissed by the NCAA tournament uh, committee. It's kind of weird, but. Colorado State, uh, a good team. Roddy's a good player. He doesn't have the height that you know a lot of the guys have. And Colorado State is not great defensively. They're a good offense. Uh, I think Michigan is much more talented, even without Jones, than is Colorado State. And the MWC has been so bad, ATS, that, that my lean would still be Michigan here. All right, fantastic. Let's move on then. We have... Yale versus Purdue. Purdue minus 16. Total is 143, Kyle. And I'm just going to say Yale's a very solid Ivy League team. But in the non-conference, they've gotten blown out in every step of the time. Every game they played was like a 20, 30-point loss. The Ivy League is not good. Uh, You saw how uh, Princeton even struggled with VCU last night. Um I don't know how you could lay this many points with Purdue at the same time. I, I, Purdue's got a terrible defense. They play moderately fast, but I don't know what pace they're going to set either. Staying away, I'll lean over 143. Kyle, anything? So as far as the side on this one, you know, I think it's fair to say that Purdue has been a disappointment, at least to me. I thought that they were a uh, national title contender at least early in the season. Now it'd be a pretty big surprise to me if they were – you know, a contender at the end of the day because Purdue's defense has just been so much worse. And I think that it's because uh, Lutz, who was their defensive coach, went to AM Corpus Christi, who we saw play there uh, at the start of the NCAA tournament. They were 11th and 34th in defensive efficiency the last two years. They're 99th this year. Uh, you can win games at even 34th uh, defensive efficiency in the NCAA tournament, but 99th against good opponents is going to be a problem. Yale was fortunate to get to the big dance. Uh, Princeton shot the ball really poorly. I really don't think they have the talent to hang in here. So if I were forced to bet a side here, I would bet Purdue. Uh, my lean is to the under with uh, thinking Purdue might let off the gas here late in this game. 
Uh, but, you know, this, this is a game that I don't have too extensive of, of thoughts about. All right, good. Let's move on because we have another quick question. Everyone wants to know about what's going on now. <laughs> Rutgers, Notre Dame. I, I know Rutgers at home has been strong. Can we trust them? Here's the thing. I, I have a slight play on the Rutgers, and it's a one-star play, very small. I think their senior leadership has to stick in here with guys like Harper, Geo Baker, guys like uh, Oma Yuri. I think that they're a matchup advantage against uh, Notre Dame. I don't care about the away home thing right now. I, I, I saw Rutgers come to Wisconsin and beat the crap out of us too. You know, this is different. I, I give Notre Dame a one and a half home field advantage, but I still home, home court advantage. I just still don't think Notre Dame's got the guns, and I'm down on the ACC. I think Rutgers wins this. Yeah, I think Rutgers wins as well. That's certainly my lean. The other thing I was going to say is. I don't know what's going on here. Somebody absolutely loves the over. The, this total has been bet up by like three points. So um, I would lean to the under in this game if I were betting a total. My number is lower than this. Uh, 134 and a half. I'm surprised it's gotten this high. Notre Dame is not great defensively, but they do play slowly. Rutgers is a very good defensive team. I think uh, my my two leans here are Rutgers and the under, and I bet, might bet a little pizza money on these. Oh, geez. I didn't know the over was getting that high. Wasn't it just at 132 and a half, 133? Jeez. Yeah, some steam on the over. Oh my God. I might have to I have to pay more attention to that at come tip off. Good stuff. I would take the under there. So there's our leans on that. Let's move on to the next game. We have Delaware versus Villanova, Kyle. And <laughs> look at look at, we, look at the spreads we just went through. 15 and a half, 14 and a half, 16, right? 15 and a half. Uh uh, yeah, the other team's going to get their butts kicked, right? <laughs> kind of like there is your handicap um no but i mean digging deep a little bit these are about totals too and uh you try to think about angles everywhere you can 133 and a half is the total kyle i'll quick get started on this one delaware surprised to win the colonial over towson but now they're in some trouble uh i mean nova they're gonna be relentless it's jay wright man i don't want to go against jay wright uh, in the tournament here, I, I'm going to try to not bet against Villanova as much as possible. <laughs> just telling you right now. Um, I think that just the, they have matchup advantages over Delaware everywhere, everywhere. I don't see one possible chance that Delaware is going to stay in this game. My only worry um, is that if, and I, and I had talked to you about this pre-show Kyle, about this total Villanova is so efficient, even though they play small, sometimes they just score a ton of points based upon little possessions. You're shooting 50, 60%. So unfortunately, I can't even really take that either. I have, uh, I'll lean the first half under. What are your thoughts? Um, you know, I can't take, uh, in a Nova game, it's hard to take a low under because Nova is so efficient on offense. Same time, I don't like taking overs with Villanova because they're really, really very good at controlling the tempo and playing very slowly. I think Jay Wright's a fantastic coach. I really like him a lot. Uh, also seems like a nice guy, very classy coach. So I like to root for Villanova. They don't quite have the top talent that they've had in recent seasons. Uh, you know, Gillespie's very good and they have good players, but I don't think they have the talent that they had a few years ago when they won it or anything. Uh, Delaware is 25th and away from home rating, but they do foul a lot defensively. Uh, you don't want to foul a lot defensively against Villanova. They shoot 82.5% from the free throw line. The last I knew, I believe that's an NCAA record if they can keep that. Uh, I hope they can break that. That'd be pretty neat because there are so many teams 
that really suck at shooting free throws. And that's a major problem. Um, I like Villanova as a team. I see what 68% of the bets so far on, on Delaware. I'm a bit surprised. So many people really want to bet on Delaware here, probably because it's a lower total with this big of a spread, but uh, I don't have any strong opinion on this game. Kiev. All right. Now, fair enough. And uh, we'll pass on this one and move on to the next one here. I think we might have a, a better spread to talk about finally, Kyle. Um, USC against Miami. USC minus two, total 140 and a half. Why don't you go first? So I think we might disagree on this one. I, I think I like USC on this one. Uh, Andy Enfeld's 10 and one against the spread in the NCAA tournament. His teams have been ready to play consistently time after time. The only loss was their last game there last year against Gonzaga. A Gonzaga team that was frankly just a lot better than USC. Um, in this case, you have Miami from a weak ACC, USC with a massive size advantage. Uh, Miami, the quickness advantage on the perimeter. Miami should score off turnovers, USC off offensive rebounds. Maybe an over here if I were going to bet a total. USC is ninth in consistency rating. I do like a team that's very consistent. I know what I'm going to get from them. Miami has not been very consistent. USC is number one in the nation in two-point field goal percentage defense. I have a strong lean to USC in this game. Uh, Kiev, what do you think? All right. Well, we do have disagreement here for sure. Um, here's the thing. It's up to two now, I, and I'm, I might get close to betting the Miami side, to be honest with you. USC has just been fraudulent, in my opinion. They won a lot of close games. They're in the top 35 in luck. Um, but they didn't beat anybody good in the non-conference minus San Diego State. And what do I say about San Diego State? All conference related. Both of these teams play well away from home and both rank in the top 50 away from home. Both of these teams have good three-point shooting advantage over the other as well, but neither defense. See, both can hit the three and neither of them can guard it from what I've seen in the metrics, Kyle. So that makes me kind of look towards the over a little bit. Just just those thoughts. I mean, it's sitting at 140 and a half. 140 and a half tells you the books and the market's kind of thinking, mm, you know, this these guys can put up a few points, right? This game's going to be more of a home game for Miami is the key thing for me. I mean, they're playing in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, probably about, you know, it's definitely a long drive from Miami, but there's Miami fans ACC fans sprinkled all over there. And when the Pac-12 teams comes in, I think they're just going to get booed. Um, I think Miami gets it done. I think they win it outright. And I like it at the two. But I'm also going to lean over the 140 and a half. And I actually wrote 139. So this must have went up a little bit. Because when I was doing our my research yesterday morning, it was at 139. Boo-hoo, we missed that one. But uh, yeah, sometimes we got to disagree, Kyle. I think that's a good thing. Right, we tend to agree here on the total, disagree on the side. All right, man. Maybe we'll have a beer bet on this one or something fun. Sounds fun. All right, let's move on to the next one then. Let me share our DraftKings here. And sorry, being a little slow. Is this Virginia Tech versus Texas? And another close spread we got, minus one. For Texas, and the total's at 123.5. Notice I haven't been mentioning the seeds, and of course I'd have to have an extra step to do it, but I don't like looking at seeds when I handicap games. I think it completely messes with your mind. 
Uh, I don't. I disagree with doing that. Now, if you want to do it from a trends aspect to for for fading, then I do agree with doing that. But um, in my opinion, these teams are very close to each other because of the spread, and Texas has their own problems. Kyle um, wrote down a few notes for this one. I was really impressed by Virginia Tech for what they did in the ACC, and I was wrong about them. But at the same time, North Carolina shot like four for 26 from three, something like that. It was, th- it was like three for 23, and then Duke shot four for 20 from three. They lost, That's how they lost the game. You know, it's it, it was partially Virginia Tech's defense, but at the same time, if teams shoot that bad from three, they're, they're losing the game. So Virginia Tech looks a lot better than what they were, but at the same time, they did get better. Now, the problem with Texas is that they only ranked 353 away from home, and that's tough. And and which which way are you going to go? I mean, I like Chris Beard a lot, but Chris Beard has been just losing some big spots this year and some big games. You know, I, I thought he'd get one against his old team in Texas Tech. You know, so um, Virginia Tech's going to have a three-point advantage, ranking seventh in adjusted three-point shooting percentage to Texas's defense, ranking 90th in opponent-adjusted three-point shooting percentage. Texas should have the near proximity advantage, ranking 45% and close to rim field goal percent to Virginia, ranking in the 148th. And not 45%, I meant they rank 45th to 148th. So it's going to be a foul. The fouls are going to determine some of this. If uh, Texas can play some defense against Virginia Tech without some fouls, then Texas might win this game. But if there's going to be a lot of fouls going on here, then I think that uh, Virginia Tech might win this game. So I, uh, it's a complete toss-up. I'll give you a slight lean to Virginia Tech just because they're a dog. What are your thoughts, Kyle? I have no idea who to lean on on this game as far as ATS. I mean, Kiev, Texas should have been better than this. Uh, Chris Beard is a good coach. I know he's a good coach, so I'm not going to diss him for one bad year. But it goes to show that a bunch of quality transfers don't always gel very well because there were a lot of new guys came into this team. Texas was supposed to immediately be a top five team. They just haven't been. They haven't been very good really compared to expectations and their away from home rating bothers me a lot. Now, Virginia Tech with that big run through the ACC, I don't know, Kiev, do you usually back teams or fade teams in that spot after they've made that big run? Because we've seen it go both ways. I mean, I remember last year when people were talking up Georgetown like crazy. Uh, Georgetown just absolutely laid an egg right away. So uh, do you usually like to back a team that's made a run like that to, to surprise their way to the NCAA tournament or fade? Fade. A, lo- a lot of these tournaments are just games that players are more nervous for. Think of it like that. Um, what, and it just got, goes back to the shooting percentage that Duke and North Carolina had when they played Virginia Tech. It's like th- this is not – what Virginia Tech really is, it's not. What, but but what I will say, you have to be aware of it. You have to be aware that they're a better team than a lot of the perceptive, the per- perception and the perspective. But that you know, seven eight times out of ten, they should lose to Duke, right, in this position. So um, it, they're fade in general. But I also don't love Texas that much. And I want, and if and if they're getting calls against them, that's bad. So. Mm. It, you know, it'd be a great spot to fade. That's why I have a slight lean to Virginia Tech. Let's move on to the next game then. Chattanooga, the Mox versus the Fighting Illini, Kyle. The Illini is minus eight, total 135 and a half. What do you have for this one? 
Well, and this one, I think it's really interesting. Here's the angle that I teased earlier in the show. Um, this one's going to fit the fade the public angle, which has done really well in the NCAA tournament. Um, faves, favorites of 10 points or less, getting less than 50% of the spread bets, or 56% even since 2006, and that's a large sample size. It's been very good baiting that public dog. Chattanooga is a public dog in this one. I think the public will continue to bet Chattanooga in this game. And I think Illinois has a high upside. I kind of think they're flying under the radar. Um, they've been inconsistent, but I think that their they're highest, their ceiling is very high. Shot quality has Chattanooga as one of the luckiest teams in the country so far this year. They're 25-7. and seven. Shot quality believes their record should be 19-13. and 13. Their interior defense is not very good. Uh, if you have a bad interior defense, I can tell you, you don't really want to play against Kofi Coburn. Uh, not the great guy to be playing against. And Illinois' defense is great in the half court. They're weak in transition defense, but Chattanooga doesn't run. They don't get out and run. I don't think Chattanooga is set up to, to match up as well with Illinois as most people think here. So um, it looks like about 75% of the bets have been on Chattanooga thus far. Uh, we'll see what it goes to by tip off because this one's a little ways away, obviously, but I think Illinois laying the points here is, is a pretty strong lean of mine. I'm not sure if I'm going to bet this one as a premium play or not, but uh, I'll likely at least have some money on Illinois. I think Illinois is being undervalued in the marketplace. Yeah, they're certainly being undervalued. They've been inconsistent, I think, and that's part of the reasons that, but I followed the mocks all year and you know, I'm close to them with Coach Paris there being a Badger assistant for such a long time. Um, I think when you look at this team, you have to remember that they have some pretty big names thanks to the transfer portal. You got Sylvia Del Sosa that that's, was with Kansas, teamed up with Malachi Smith here, and they have been doing some pretty good damage to some teams this year. Um, not I, They wouldn't have made it in as an at-large, so you also, you also have to think about that. Um, and, and you're right. Some of the faster teams like Belmont's and Murray state did beat them, but will Illinois pace? I don't know. According to the metrics, Illinois should dominate download. Like you said, 21st in near proximity buckets. Chattanooga is ranks 241st in defending it, but this is all because of Cockburn, right? I don't like the other forwards for Illinois. I think they're all guards and Cockburn, right? I don't like John's. I, I just, I, I think if Sousa can slow down Cockburn there could be a little bit more of a challenge for Illinois now um the fact that Illinois is a decent three-point shooting team is is good but they rank 44th in attempts Kyle they shoot a ton of them so are they going to pass it down to coffee like they should be doing every play I don't know um coffee doesn't shoot the greatest free throws I just don't like the fact that they take a lot of threes. I, I think Chattanooga, who ranks fifth, Kyle, an adjusted opponent three-point percentage could show up here. Chattanooga, is a lean, it will be the lean for me in this game, so we'll disagree a little bit on this one. All right, sounds good. Yep. Illinois, I think, is a team that could make a bit of a run here that some people uh, don't see coming. So Illinois even would be a tricky matchup all the way out to against Arizona. I think that'd be a fun game. I agree with you. And I have a future in Illinois. So I kind of want, I mean, you know, I, when you have futures, you have to completely 
not think of them when you when you handicap right. this stuff. It, it, your your bets don't matter. If you happen to have one in the lead eight, hey, then let's start thinking, right? But right now, you shouldn't even be focused on your futures. Let's move on then to the next game. And let me get back to the spread here. We have Iowa State. No, 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 no. We have Cal State Fullerton at Duke. Duke laying 18.5 total. 145.5. Kyle, I'll take the I'll take the uh, reins first on this one. Uh Coach K's last dance, right? It's his last dance, kind of like Jordan's last dance going on, right? But uh unfortunately, uh with all the drama these days, who knows if it'll be like Tom Brady and Brett Favre and come back here next year when he um when he's sitting at home realizing he's just uh, getting older. Hey, you know, coach people do weird things and I thought that was really weird that Tom Brady did that. I kind of thought that Brady was a little bit more, I, I wouldn't say mature, but just different. You know, just being like, when I say it's done, it's done. But no, apparently he came back. But hey, Michael Jordan did the same thing. All, all these people do that. But um, it's a motivational aspect for Duke. And you're paying a premium for it, Kyle. Um, one would think that Duke's going to want to just blow this team out after what they did. Last game at Cameron, they lose to North Carolina. Then they lost that ugly game to, to Virginia Tech. And this is why the line's juiced at minus 18.5, Kyle. I think that all the metric sites have this at 15, right? You're paying a three and a half point premium for this, in my opinion. But I guess you're also getting a little home field advantage for Duke too because it's played in South Carolina, right? So neither team plays all that fast. I think Duke does step it up, but I think it's, it's they step up on their defense. I think that Cal State Fullerton doesn't even get to fifty this game personally. I mean, Cal State Fullerton in a much worse division uh, conference here. I like the under, and I took it at one forty six and a half, and it's at one forty five and a half. I think Duke's going to like run up the points up to seventy seventy five. They're going to be up by thirty, and then they're going to slow it down. And uh, and and I think this remains under the big total. What are your thoughts? Uh, it's, that sounds like you really like Cal State Fullerton team total under as well for people who can grab that. I think that yeah. that probably is a good look in this one. I mean, Cal State Fullerton is busy playing some really bad teams throughout the course of the season. I mean, you know, they had a good season, but uh, this is a team they haven't beaten a team in the top 125 in the country. So even if Duke is not playing very good, this is a massive step up in class. Uh, Fullerton has played well lately, but imagine how much of a shock to the system it's going to be facing Paolo Bancaro and company. Uh, Duke should roll here in this game. Uh, my strongest lean in this game would be the under, so we agree on this one. All right, let's move on then because we are getting shorter on time. Uh, a UAB, uh, Iowa State versus LSU, minus four. Total is 127.5, as you can see right here on the screen. I'm just going to say that LSU lost their coach, Will Wade, finally fired. I mean, it took long enough, huh, Kyle? <laughs> <laughs> It, he's fired for stuff that they're doing legally now. <laughs> it's just so funny. It is ironic, I tell you. Um, LSU is a little bit better what their numbers show because it's Xavier Pinson. Here's the thing. They're going to get a bump. People are going to fade LSU. I think the public's going to be on Iowa State because they lost their coach, and LSU is going to absolutely blow the doors off this team because they get a bump after this game. I don't like what I saw with Iowa State versus Texas Tech. They could not do anything against a good defense. Just absolutely stoned by Texas Tech. LSU, I think, is going to win by margin. So I'm just waiting on this, but I'll probably play LSU. Any quick thoughts? 
Yeah, I think this one might get bet down even farther. We're at minus four now. I think you probably see a three and a half here in this one because the public is taking Iowa State, no doubt. These two teams are 10th and 4th in the nation in defensive efficiency. I think this is an ugly game, one that uh, both teams could struggle to knock down shots. Uh, you know, Wade getting fired can't be a positive for LSU, but how big of a negative is it? You know, maybe overblown by some people. The talent edge here is clearly to LSU by quite a bit. LSU was really good early on, and Penson got hurt, and they really struggled a lot. He's back. I lean LSU. I also kind of like the under. I'm hoping the under gets bet up a little bit more here, Kiev, so maybe I can grab the under. Oh, makes total sense to me. I like it as well. That's uh, That makes sense. The under, it looks like a good venue for it, too, like you said, where they're playing. Milwaukee. Let's move on to the next one. UAB versus Houston. Houston lane eight and a half. A little bit of juice here. Totals at 136. Kyle, any thoughts? So uh, Jordan Jelly Walker is fun for UAB. He's going to be a big story here. Houston has a good defense. Kelvin Sampson's a really good coach. Uh, I've said this before. Houston really hasn't beaten anybody good. They beat Memphis last game. Before that, they'd really beat no one. Um, they lack big wins this year. The analytics site love them. They are shorthanded. I'm not as high on Houston as some people, uh, but Houston does one thing extremely well, and they're very good at three-point defense. They have been for years. Uh, Samson's team is not going to give UAB easy threes here. Jordan Walker is going to be shooting over some length on the perimeter for Houston. Um, I don't like Houston long-term to make a deep run like some people do, but I have a slight lean to Houston in this game. Um, there are some pretty good angles that that point toward the under in this one. I will say my raw number is higher than this, so I'm not really sure what to do with the total, but I'll lean Houston in this one. Houston being a five seed is a travesty, in my opinion. They won their conference tournament. They lost a couple key players, but still played pretty strong. Dropped a few, but that's it. Neither team is good away from home, ranking both in the 300s. UAB does shoot the three well, ranking ninth in the, in the, in the whole league, but <laughs> LSU ranks or sorry Houston ranks 11th that that's just like you said I mean they can defend the three and that's where the under is going to come from Houston should be able to eat this team alive though down low they rank six in near proximity shots and uh UAB ranks 278th defending it so I would think that Houston's going to be able to score at will down low and it's going to cause uab to shoot a lot of threes my worry about the total kyle is if uab panics and just goes a little faster and just shoots a couple, bunch of threes here after they're getting beat really bad i would lean first half under really strong and i'm gonna have a strong lean for houston to cover it kyle sounds good let's move on to the next one we have davidson Versus Michigan State. Michigan State minus one. Total is 140. Kyle, I didn't look at the betting percentage, but this is one that Davidson might be a little bit of a public dog themselves. Um, actually, no, it looks like there, there's more money on Davidson right now. But this this 8,000 bets, this is going to go to 100,000. So we don't know what's done yet here. But um, money split, the, or the money's higher on Davidson. The total. Some people will bet Davidson so they can come back on Michigan State. Uh, people text me that they do this all the time. So <laughs> I got to tell you, um, I, I'm not playing it right now, but I have a strong lean to Michigan State. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, is, much, is March still the month of Izzo? Easy for me to say, but Izzo has been so good in March. Maybe not anymore. I'm not convinced Michigan State's really that good this year. I mean, this is a down Michigan State team. Shot quality. Uh, we, we really like Simon's work. 
Uh, shot quality says, based on the quality of shots taken, Michigan State should have lost 14 of their last 15 games, which is really insane. Uh, they won a decent amount of those games where they believe they should have lost. Michigan State ranks 299th in the country in shot selection. Davidson, an offensive juggernaut, seventh in shot making. They did beat Bama at a semi-road game. They won at VCU. I don't know. I mean, Davidson hasn't really done very well in the tournament when they don't have Steph Curry. And, I mean, they don't have Steph Curry this year. Uh, I, I don't know what to do with this one, Kiev. This is a total pass for me. So Michigan State shoots the three, eighth in the nation, 38.6%, and uh, Davidson is ninth. So, I, But I will say that Michigan State defends it, ranking 51st in opponent three-point, and Davidson is 217th. So there's your advantage for Michigan State here. I, I might get on Michigan State, and they're going to be faded, in my opinion, by the public. But um, we'll, 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 we'll think more about that. Let's get to the biggest game of the whole tournament then, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Wisconsin, man. Um, they are an eight-point favorite here against Colgate. And the total is at 139.5. Who goes first? Do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. Uh I'll let you close with, with your team here. You know, um, these two teams are actually kind of similar, if you think about it. I know Wisconsin's more talented than is Colgate, but they don't have ridiculous uh, athleticism, you know, like uh, Arkansas that Colgate played against last year. Uh, they Colgate was ahead much of that game. Then we're kind of overwhelmed by athleticism of Arkansas late. Colgate's not going to beat themselves. I think Langle's a really good coach for Colgate. Uh, they're 11th in minutes continuity in the country. They shoot 40.2% from three-point range. Uh, you know this. In the NCAA tournament, you want a dog who can shoot the three ball and take care of the basketball. Colgate fits that. I think this is a close game here, so I do like Colgate plus the eight. Um, I, it's hard to know what to do with the total here because Colgate's very efficient on offense. Wisconsin not playing as slow as they did in past years, but I have a pretty strong lean here to Colgate. Yeah, and unfortunately... I'm not the big homer that Kyle was not a homer either. Remember, we mentioned that. I'm not the homer for Wisconsin either because I'm betting Colgate. <laughs> I mean, Wisconsin, you look at what they did. The reason that they're bottom 30 and Ken Palm is because they step down to their competition. They play down to their competition. They play up to it too. Like they beat Purdue a couple times, right? They beat Michigan State. They beat um, any other top two. I think the only one they didn't beat was Illinois at Illinois. They beat Iowa, right? And, and then... Then they play two close games against two teams that are not even in the top 200, you know. What's funny is that um, Colgate's the worst team in luck in the whole uh, NCAA tournament, ranking like 324th, I believe, in luck. And Wisconsin is top 10 in luck. So that's something to think about. Bet on the unlucky team. Well, people want to factor in luck to their <laughs> to their betting, but, I mean, the truth is you want to bet against the unlucky team, right? Um or bet against the lucky team. There's just two major issues with the batters. Terrible shooting percentage. Kyle ranking 291st in all of basketball. And they and, and like I said, um, if Davis if Davis is out there, danger of losing. Colgate ranks second in shooting percentage. And they're just so dang good last year. They didn't even need defense. This is, could be one of those spots that Wisconsin just kind of played out. You know, they they they're chasing Colgate around and they're getting through ball screens and getting those quick fast three jump shots and and they cover i mean this is a big 
a big enough spread for me to be confident to lay to take the plus eight and i'll put a couple stars on that kyle probably a little sprinkle on the money line to make myself feel a little bit better after if we lose this game (laughs) all right we have uh, some agreement on that one let's move on to the next and we have the last game tcu versus seton hall and the spread on this one is minus one seton hall total 129.5 kyle if there's a game that i don't want anything to do with it's probably this one all I wrote down was that these two teams are pretty similar, bad on offense, pretty good on defense, no real matchup here, advantage here. And so I should have mentioned the side. I don't want nothing to do with because I think I do like the total. I've noticed that the trend line of the pace for Seton Hall since they lost Bryce Aiken has went seriously down, all right, seriously since mid-January. And that's what happens when teams lose their point guard, they start playing slower. And TCU's slow playing themselves. They can't shoot under, under, under for me. I, I, I like it under 129 and a half for a decent size play, two and a half stars. What are your thoughts? Yeah, we're thinking alike on this one, Kiev. We've had a couple disagreements, but I like the under in this game. Uh, Bryce Aiken was really important to Seton Hall. I mean, it, it limits them significantly without him. He, he was an underrated guard key playmaker, still a top 25 defense in the country, though. Their defensive numbers have stayed very good without him. It's just been their offense that suffered, and they have slowed down. Jamie Dixon, 6-14 and 14 against the spread in the NCAA tournament dating back to 2006. TCU came on late in the season. They're used to dominating on the offensive boards. Seton Hall is good at not giving up second-chance points, though, so I don't think they'll get too many freebies there. Seton Hall is 305th in shot selection in the country. So taking a lot of bad shots, TCU 315th in shot making. I think we have a recipe for an under in this game. Oh, we have a big recipe for an under. Glad that we found some common ground here on the last few games. That's great, Kyle. We'll be rooting for the under on this one for sure. All right, we are out of time. Where could our listeners and viewers get your great information and plays for the weekend? So you can head over to huntersportspicks.com. You can sign up for my free picks newsletter there. Also, all my premium packages available there. I got a March Madness all access pass for $249 here for the next 24 hours. So check that out if you haven't already. I know a lot of people have already taken advantage of that. Uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. You can follow me at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. I'm also on TikTok now a little bit, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see if I can pick that up long term. I know Kiev's doing a little bit of that too, but, but serious, uh, seriously appreciate everybody tuning in and uh Best of luck to everybody on their March Madness. That's right. Check us out, theoddsbreakers.com. We have you covered for the March Madness. Every handicapper is putting out a lean or a play on each of the quadrants. Now, they are keeping their premium plays themselves still, but they will give you a lean or just an idea of what's going on in these quadrants and obviously you can get kyle's totals package at the oddsbreakers.com if you just want his totals you can check that out you can get all of my plays for march madness just uh find me kiev o'neill on the oddsbreakers.com now i'm very excited to welcome back a man who eats sleeps and breathes college basketball you know him as greg hoops peterson from the vegas sports and information network and the coast to coast hoops podcast you can follow him at g units underscore 81, Greg, my man, did the committee get it right? <laughs> I thought they did a relatively solid job. I know that there were some folks that were griping about Texas A&M not getting in, and I think that you're able to make a relatively solid case for them. But all in all, I really don't have too many complaints with this, and I'm not someone that I dive too much into this because 
I'm one of those people that I used to do a lot of bracketology. I really don't anymore. Just one of those cases where I say, you know what, give us the matchups and I will handicap from there because there is no money to be made taking a look at hypotheticals. But now that we've got the field of 64, there's a lot of money to be made on these games. So I'm always one of those people that I just like to wait and see what the committee winds up going out with. And unless we have something absolutely egregious, you get a passing grade from me. We got the right person for the job. Thanks so much for coming back, Greg. Really appreciate it, man. You know, got to talk about the Badgers just a little bit. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about that little three seed we got in Milwaukee here? I think that is very favorable that they're going to be playing at Pfizer Forum for the first two games because being someone from the state of Wisconsin, both of us are, you know that the <laughs> fans are going to pack the arena. It's oh, going to yeah. be a lot of red, and it's not going to be Colgate red. That is for <laughs> sure. You take a look at this Wisconsin, David. The fans are going to be out and about, and I think that Wisconsin is going to be able to get by Colgate. I know that there's a lot of people that – have made Colgate a chic pick. And I do think that there's value once you wind up getting north of seven points with Colgate. But I take a look at the Badgers. I think that they should be able to get the job done in that first-round game. From there, I think that the trickiest team perhaps to be able to handicap in this tournament is going to be LSU because they wind up canning their coach in Will Wade. But this is still a very good defensive team. They're still a team that they do a nice job of being able to generate turnovers. And let's call it what it is. When Johnny Davis has not been 100%, Wisconsin's falloff is about as big as any in the country due to one singular player. So I think that that is going to be really interesting to take a look at. And I do think that the guards of LSU will do a good job of being able to defend Johnny Davis. So I think that once you wind up getting to the round of 32, things do wind up getting dicey for the Badgers. Oh, well, I can't wait to uh, talk about that then, that, that little segment. So are you going to fill out a bracket? I know you used to do some bracketology, but are you kind of more into the Sports Ben side of things. I've already filled out a bracket. I just don't do the prognostications before the bracket why it's coming out because there's just no money to be made in trying to predict, oh, is this team going to be a 12 seed? Oh, they turned out to be a 13 seed, things like that. You're handicapping matchups that you have no idea whatsoever that they're going to be happening. Now we know what the matchups are. I've already filled out my brackets, so that is all good to go and wound up actually doing a bracket special on my podcast on Monday. All right. Well, there you go. And uh, you've got tons of information on your podcast. I, uh, I'm i a big fan of it. And make sure you check out Coast to Coast Hoops on the VEASAN radio network as well. Greg, just every single day pounding through Every single college basketball game is absolutely impressive, Greg. Who is in your final four for our listeners that didn't catch your episode? Well, I've got Kansas going to the final four because I felt like they did get the most favorable draw, Wisconsin being a three-seed. Auburn, a team that just has not put it together away from the state of Alabama the last six weeks or so, being the two-seed. And then I just think that Providence is going to be going down in a fiery heap as well. So I dig a look at that region and I do think that you wind up getting a very, very favorable draw for Kansas. And then from there, I do think that you wind up having, with regards to what is going to be up top, Villanova having a solid shot to be able to make the Final Four, just because there's so many question marks right now with Kirk Carissa. His leg that he posted up on social media, that didn't look so great. And if there's one thing that I love in the tournament, it's senior-slash-fifth-year point guards. And you've got that with Villanova, the team that is number one in all of college basketball terms of free throw shooting so i've got those two paired together in the final four then we've got a little bit of a left side of chaos i want it going with ucla in the final four over baylor baylor losing their top rebounder jonathan chamachachua that's an issue lj crier it sounds like 
he's going to miss at minimum the first two games of the NCAA tournament. He's really their top three-point shooter, so that is going to be a little bit of an issue for Baylor and UCLA. Been very impressed by how Miles Johnson has performed down low, and I've got them going up against the UConn Huskies. I think that they match up very well with Gonzaga. Gonzaga has your twin towers in Chet Holmgren along Drew Timmy down low, but Adama Sanogo, Isaiah Whaley, both of these guys give you two-plus blocks for contest. I think that R.J. Cole is able to match up very well with R.J. Nemart. It's a UConn team that they're good on defense. They're good on the glass. They've got enough three-point shooting. So I like UConn to be able to come out of that region in which I just felt like Gonzaga got a really, really rough draw with regards to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> that was uh, – it's tough You got when you got Duke there. They're also favored to be a one seed for most of the year, you know, and uh, Duke's there and – Gonzaga with the Texas Tech is actually really worries me too. I think Texas Tech might be the strongest three seed in this whole thing. So that's really interesting. Um, you got Purdue with the offense. You got Texas Tech with the defense, right? And those two three seeds looking at each other. Tennessee is a question mark to me. I mean, a lot of people say this should have been number two, but we'll see how they do away from home. Obviously, Rick Barnes has been fade central when it comes to the NCAA tournament in the past. Well, good stuff. Give me a dark horse to make the Final Four real quick. I would say the dark horse is UConn, obviously, because they are a little bit of a five seed. So they're a team that I think could be able to make a little bit of a run. And if it doesn't wind up being UConn, I think that Davidson winds up knocking off Duke to be able to get to the Sweet 16. You mentioned it with Texas Tech. I think that the defense would be too strong for Davidson to be able to make it to that Elite Eight and perhaps be able to cause a little bit of chaos. Try to become, I believe it would be the first ever 10 seed to make the Final Four. But I do think that you've got a team in Davidson that's able to make the second week of the NCAA tournament. And then the other double-digit seed that I'm really bullish on to be able to make a run to the Sweet 16 is South Dakota State. Jack Rabbits are number one in all college basketball in terms of three-point shooting percentage. They're going up against Providence team that's terrible in transition. South Dakota State gets a lot of their points in transition. Just a doomsday scenario there. Then you wind up going up against an Iowa team that the offense is tremendous, but the defense is not there. And South Dakota State, they're a better three-point shooting team than Iowa because, quite frankly, South Dakota State, they shoot 45% from three-point range. Nobody else shoots better than 40.2%. So they are by far the best outside shooting team in all of college basketball. So I do like South Dakota State to make a little bit of a run as well. All right. Well, <laughs> there you go. The Jackrabbits, definitely uh, a little trendy pick here, but they they can shoot the hell out of the ball, and they got some leadership there. I think they're ninth in um, – consistency of returning their players you know that's pretty high and i i love teams that, like you said fifth fifth year uh, guards i love you know lots of i guess uh, expertise you know coming in you've been in these tournaments before right uh, you're not a rookie uh, you know i handle the pressure that's huge when it comes to this and that's one reason i kind of like Rutgers today for anybody watching this live here i think uh, they definitely have a good shot to take out notre dame so before we get into the games we're going to do a couple on thursday we're going to few on friday for sake of time do you think that trend last year of the first half unders is going to be hot again we've seen it in the first two games here in the first four in which the unders wound up hitting so i really do think so i'm a little bit more of a full game better and i'm going to be taking a look at a lot of unders now there are going to be a couple overs i don't think that this is a case where you want to be blindly taking anything. I always have people asking me when it comes to just about any sport, oh, should we just take every under blind? Should we take every <laughs> underdog blind and everything like that? Do the research on the actual games, but there's nothing wrong with landing on a couple more underdogs, a couple more favorites if you do wind up buying an edge. And 
I do find an edge with quite a few of these unders. So I do think that it is a trend that is going to be pretty profitable this year as well. All right. Well, sounds great. Let's get into some games then. And we'll get started with a few for tomorrow. Um, real quick, let's do Michigan, Colorado State. You know, I uh, Michigan just had some news with uh, Devontae Jones out. And, you know, that line dropped a little bit for him. And uh, I'm curious how your thoughts are on missing him. Uh, Colorado State is a Mountain West team. I'm not super high in the Mountain West, Greg. So what are your thoughts on this game? Well, before the Devontae Jones injury, I was in on Colorado State being able to win this game outright. Right now, before the Devontae Jones injury, I made Colorado State a two-point favorite. Colorado State still an underdog, so I've yet to really make any adjustment. I would think that Devontae Jones should be worth about a point to the line. So I'm going to be setting Colorado State, when it's all said and done, between a two-and-a-half and a, a three-point favorite. I do think that Colorado State has just so much efficiency on offense, and that's going to hurt a Michigan team that they just have not done a good job on defense. Now, Michigan was able, to knock off, was able to knock off San Diego State, another Mountain West team, when they wanted coming out to Michigan. So that was a little bit of a tough one for San Diego State. But keep in mind, that was a body clock game for San Diego State. You have to fly across the country. That was just a little bit of a doomsday spot for them. Meanwhile, when Michigan wanted coming out West, they had a little bit of a tougher time with taking on Arizona. As we know, Arizona wanted being a tremendous team this season, but mm-hmm. I do take a look at this Michigan team, and they have their question marks, and they just don't play the same away from home, because now you're going to need to get more out of Caleb Houston, and Caleb Houston, when he's at home, he shoots 47% for three with right in the neighborhood of 11 to 12 points per contest. On the road and in a neutral part environment, that falls to eight, and he shoots sub-30% from three-point range, so he has not been the same man when he's been away from home, and I think that that's going to be a big issue. For Michigan, so I think that the news of Devontae Jones is very big. I don't know who's going to be doling out the ball for Michigan, especially with Jones really being the heart and soul of that win that they wound up having against Ohio State that probably got them in the NCAA tournament. So I like Colorado State here on the money line. All right, Colorado State on the money line. You know, my problem with Michigan is their inconsistency, but they kind of seem to lose, win, lose, win, lose, win all throughout the season. You know, I I like the energy Colorado State at, has, uh, especially at home, but I do not like them nearly as much on the road. And I kind of think that their whole team revives around David Roddy a lot, right? Oh, yeah. And if he gets in foul trouble, that that this team can be in some serious trouble. And it's going to be hard for them to match up against seven-foot-tall Hunter Dickinson and about seven-foot-tall uh, Diabate there. So I am certainly concerned for them inside. It's going to be a great first game to watch, though. Nice and early. So get your brackets done before <laughs> 9 o'clock, uh, or 9.15, actually, Pacific time. Let's move on to another game, and we'll stay in the Thursday. Let's talk about... Memphis Boise State. Uh, this is now from minus th- minus two and a half to minus three. Memphis is a favorite, one thirty three and a half. Now Memphis, a team that was injured, I would say most of December through January. Then they got healthy again and started doing really well. Penny Hardaway is the coach. Nice little run at the end. They smoked Houston and then they lost to Houston in the tournament. But are they worth a three point favorite here, Greg? I do think so. I like what I've seen out of Memphis here in the back half of the season. I mean, it was a cataclysmically bad start to the season for Memphis. You wind up losing all those games. You go to East Carolina and you wind up taking the L in that one. That is not necessarily too tremendous. But I do take a look at this Boise State team. And my big question mark with Boise State is execution late. 
because this is a team that is, if they're not the worst free throw shooting team in the field, they're in the bottom three. They shoot as a collective sub 65% at the free line. And we've wanted to see that in the Mountain West final as well. They very nearly gave that game away at the free throw line. So I think that that is a big issue when it comes to this Boise State team. Meanwhile, for Memphis, they've got their own wards. And the biggest one is turnovers. They are the team that turns the ball over the most on a per possession basis of any team out here in the field. But with that said, things have gotten a little bit more cleaned up ever since you've had your additions to the lineup. Having back guys like DeAndre Williams has been able to alleviate some of that. Landers and Ollie, Lester Cajones out there in the backcourt have been tremendous. And the one thing you know with Memphis is that they are going to defend and they are going to defend hard ever since they wound up having back DeAndre Williams and company. They've been a top 15 team in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. I think the total is fascinating as well. Got a Memphis team that's in the top 50 with regards to possession frame. A Boise State team that's in the bottom 40. It's a good old situation. Something's got to give. Both of these teams shoot in the mid 30 from three point range. Not lighting the world on fire, but certainly far from bums as well from three point range. So I take a look at this spot, and I do think that you wind up getting that late game following. I think that Memphis executes. So I said Memphis has a four and a half point favorite. I agree with it. And set my total at 134 and a half. So this is one in which I'm going to be on and over. Well, really interesting. Uh, Boise State did what they had to do in the Mountain West, that's for sure. They you know, took care of business in the regular season and had some games to spare, obviously losing that last one, but that was a really close game, a tough game in Colorado State, and then winning their tournament. And um, Memphis, hard to trust. And if you're looking at a coaching matchup, I got to take Leon Rice over Penny yeah. Hardaway, you know, and... Uh, I know Memphis has got the talent, and they have more talent, but Boise State's got some height down low. I think that this should be around a two-point spread still. So I didn't touch it, Greg. I'm going to lay off the game for right now, but if this thing gets too high, I might be I might have to be a player on Boise. Let's move on to the next game. We'll look at, you know, we don't have to. We don't have to do Providence. I think I heard what you thought about the Providence line earlier. So yeah, you, you know, probably no reason to get into these massive spreads unless you unless one sticks out for you. But here's a game that I want nothing to do, and maybe you can talk me into it. I'm going to look at North Carolina versus Marquette. Now this was at three. Now it's at three and a half. And I guess when I kind of came to and thought about this again, I did agree with the line move total one fifty two, but. I got to tell you, man, last year I remember Marquette destroying North Carolina in the regular season. It was a must-win game for Marquette, but this is a completely different Marquette team with a different coach. And uh, North Carolina coming off that really bad shooting day against Virginia Tech with a high total of 152. What are your thoughts? I wound up setting this line at three personally, so I was waiting on a line move. Now that we're seeing it move in favor of North Carolina going down to three and a half, I'm going to be taking Marquette. I'm going to see if this winds up getting the four first, just in case if I'm able to get a little bit more value. We'll be feeling a little bit better with a four than a three and a half, but I'm willing to take three and a half. I do think that both of these teams do have their flaws. With Marquette, this is a team that they rank right around 150th with the greatest points scored on a per possession basis. Now, if you take a look at Marquette from night number one till now, I would argue that they're one of the more improved teams in all of college basketball. That said, they did wind up having a clunker of their own in the Big East tournament. Not being able to get the job done against Creighton was not necessarily the world's greatest look, but I do take a look at Chaka Smart. Got to give him the coaching advantage in this one. Over what you've got with Hubert Davis in North Carolina, a little bit of an inexperienced coach now. To the credit of North Carolina, they get that big win against Duke that really put them off the bubble and into the NCAA tournament. But North Carolina, a team that they just don't 
guard. They're outside the top 180 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. It is a North Carolina team that they shoot it well. They shoot 37% from three. You've obviously got a little bit of a parallel here as well because you mentioned Marquette going on the road and knocking off North Carolina in a game that North Carolina was booking, trying to be able to booster their resume and instead it completely backfired in the ultimate of ways. But also got Dawson Garcia while transferring away from Marquette to North Carolina. Has not played in quite a while. He's probably not going to be playing in this game as well. And even if he does, he's probably going to be so badly limited that it's not going to make any sort of a difference. But I do think that there is a little bit of a chip on the shoulder of Marquette. I think that Daryl Morcell is one of the better on-ball defenders in college basketball. They're going to have a little bit of a tough time down low. This is a North Carolina team that they do not allow you to get second chances if you wind up missing that first shot in the top 10 in all of college basketball with regards to defensive rebound rate. Opponents get a rebound on fewer than 20% of their missed shots. Problem is, they allow opponents to hit a lot of their first shots as well. So mm-hmm. I, I like the points here with Marquette. I don't like them on the money line, but I'm willing to take three and a half. All right, there you go. Yeah, three and a half getting a little getting a little steep here for such unknown and such an inconsistent North Carolina team. So I see what you're saying there, and uh, maybe I could uh, be talked into a play on this one. Here's an interesting one. New Mexico State versus UConn, and this line's been dancing between six and a half and seven, total about 132. So I'm going to – I think I have a play on this, but I want to hear your thoughts first. I think that with New Mexico State, they're going to be able to hang in there on defense, but you have to question how they're going to be able to do on the board. This is a UConn team that's one of the best rebounding teams in all of college basketball. There is a little bit of injury concern with regards to UConn, but it's not really anyone of note. I believe that Gaffney is right now dealing with a little bit of an injury, and he's just been out for quite a while. So you don't have too much air with UConn. You've got Andre Jackson, who does a good job of being able to face the full floor. 7.7 boards. Shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range. And then you've got a pair of guys that give you two-plus blocks per contest. Adama Sonogo, coupled with Isaiah Whaley. Now, New Mexico State, ironically enough, is one of the best teams at not getting their shot blocked. So I think that that's going to be really interesting. But Teddy Allen, great score. 19 points. He's able to chip in there seven boards. Was actually the leading scorer at Nebraska last season. What are you going to be able to get behind him is the question, though. Donnie Tillman has been banged up and inconsistent. Serge Javari Rice is able to give you right around 10 points per contest. Guys like Will McNair and company, they give you a couple boards. But I think that the whole of UConn is better than that of New Mexico State. And I think that R.J. Cole is going to do a good job on Teddy Allen, a solid on-ball defender that's able to give you right around 15 points. Shoots it well from three-point range. Runs an efficient point guard spot. I wound up sending UConn more around a nine-ish point favorite. So I'm looking at UConn, and I'm in favor of laying the points. And I do want to say my total 136 at. With UConn, they're a mid-tempo team, and they're actually a relatively efficient offense as well. I think that they're going to be able to carve up this New Mexico State team. All right, and I, and I don't disagree with that. I, I do like some of the uh, New Mexico State's transfers that they got in this year. I think you have to respect what they did out in the WAC, but – I mean, this is a massive disadvantage matchup, and this is kind of a home game for UConn, isn't it? Uh, can you yep, ama- and keep in mind that New Mexico State just a few weeks ago went on the road and they lost to Chicago State, <laughs> and now we're expecting them to knock off UConn. I mean, just take a look at that. By <sighs> I think that you were able to call it love. What is it? Redistribution or something like that where you wind up going back this team beat this team. You're saying Chicago State is now better than UConn, obviously. That would not be the case, but I mean, that's just absolutely hilarious right there. So it's a New Mexico State team that they've shown that they can literally lose to anyone. 
I think so. And I think they're going to get the jitters here. And this is why I like the first half under. You know, I've seen UConn's defense the last couple games here in their tournament lock some people down. Look what they did to Nova. You know, I mean, it was a, that was a tough game here. I think they're going to lock New Mexico State. I wouldn't be shocked if they don't get the 22 points the whole first half. I like the first half under in this, Greg. I think that there's some value there. I think that UConn's not the greatest three-point shooting team. Now, New Mexico State's big problem is that they turn the ball over, but... UConn isn't a ball hawking defense. They're a good defense. That you know, they're a pack line. They they hurry up and get down there, but they're not like going for the ball and t- making risks to uh, obviously give up an easy bucket. So I like first half under. Yep, I can't blame you there. And then you could wind up seeing a case of which New Mexico State winds up getting down by double figures, and then they wind up trying to speed up the game from there, and then it winds up becoming out of hand. You wind up having a double digit line and. You wind up having New Mexico State throwing up prayers at the end, and then you wind up getting a high-scoring second half as well. So I can't disagree with that. All right, good stuff. Well, let's move on to a big one here, San Francisco versus Murray State. This line just bumped up from close to pick them back to minus two here, total 136.5. Why did this happen, Greg? Yuan Masolski, the top rebounder for San Francisco, gentleman that wanted missing the game against Gonzaga, which is really something that wanted moving that line as well. He was announced about an hour before we jumped on this, right around 2.30 p.m. Pacific time, that he's not going to be playing in this game. And that is a big issue for a San Francisco team that, well, we're going to call it what it is. They really don't have a lot of rebounding outside of him. You've got Jamari Boye out there in the backcourt. He's solid. He's able to give you 70 points per game. He's able to shoot it well from three-point range. But all of a sudden, Vladimir Moslovsky, he's going to need to, or Mordakovsky, hopefully I'm saying that one correctly. It's a long last name. I do apologize. We'll call him Vladimir. <laughs> Good guy. He does a solid job, but he's going to be outgunned down low in this game. And you do take a look at what you're able to get out of this Murray State team. Each of your top five scores give you at least a steal per game. They had a gentleman in Trey Hannibal transfer from South Carolina down a level. He's been a good glue guy for this team. Justice Hill is able to give you five assists. And then KJ Williams is six foot ten. He's able to pop three. I thought that Masolski was going to be able to do a halfway decent job on him. Now that he's out of the full, I think that it really causes the matchup concerns. If you've got a Murray State team that has lost as many times as myself this calendar year, the last time they wound up losing was in December when they wound up going on the road against Auburn. That was a 13-point loss. Going to Auburn and losing by 13 is actually not a bad loss whatsoever. So I take a look at this Murray State team. They're coming in hot. They're going to be able to, in my opinion, do a solid job because Murray State themselves, a top 15 team with regards to rebound rate. Now you take out the top rebounder for San Francisco. I think that they're really going to be up against it. I liked Murray State as a four-point favorite before. Now I like them as a five-and-a-half-point favorite. It made a full point-and-a-half jump in line for me. I agree with it, and I'm on Murray State as well. You know, the biggest problem was their defense down low. They're not the greatest team at defending down low, but now that with the big injury there, this is where this is where they're going to be able to get those rebounds, right? They're going to be able to uh, get second chance opportunities there. San Francisco has the matchup advantage there if you know Maselski's playing, but he's not. And look at the three point shooting here for Murray State uh, on defense; they're just fantastic. I, I am all over Murray State here. I think they get to the second round, especially with this big injury. Let's move on to some Friday games here. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you an opportunity to hate on the Big Ten a little bit here, Greg. All right. Um, why? I mean, why not? But you're gonna have to do it with an Ivy League school, and let's see if you're up to the challenge. <laughs> Yale. I know, right? I, I'm giving you this one off the bat. Yale is a 16 point dog to Purdue. 
Totals 143. Now, I will say that if this was a month ago, this should be a 20-point spread at least. But 16, yeah. 16 points, oh, man, that's some disrespect to Purdue. But at the same time, Purdue is a is a double-digit favorite. <laughs> that's tough, man. What are your thoughts? Purdue hasn't covered a spread in five weeks. Last time they did, I think, was it was either February 8th or February 9th. They're 0-9-1 against the spread in their last set. And with that said, I'm laying it with Purdue because Yale, in my opinion, should have been on the 16 line. You've got Azir Swain for Yale. He's able to give you 17 points per contest. And to the credit of Yale, they're one of the better three-point shooting defenses in the field. That said, they got absolutely nothing down low. You've got Travion Williams and Zach Eady who combined for 15 rebounds per game. Nobody on Yale gives you more than 4.7 rebounds per game. They've got no size whatsoever. I think that Purdue is just going to play a whole bunch of bully ball here. They're going to try to get the ball down low. If Purdue winds up missing their threes, they're going to get second chances. They're going to be able to get third chances. I think that this is one of the biggest mismatches of the NCAA tournament. Now, after this game, I think that Purdue is going to be in for a reckoning because Purdue just doesn't play any defense. They rank outside the top 180 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. But this is also a Yale team that they leave a lot to be desired. In the step-up games for Yale, they did not wind up faring well. They went on the road to St. Mary's. They got clobbered by over 20 points in that one. I still remember they were able to get a nice win over UMass. And then from there, every single time that they were playing against a better competition team, they wound up losing every one of them. So I take a look at Yale. They have not been able to perform well against the big boys. And these are the big boys, both figuratively <laughs> and literally, with regards to Purdue. Just a bad matchup in general just for Yale. Just a bad matchup. Just so bad. <laughs> yeah, I think this has got just variants all over it. And um, I, you know, I could see him winning by 12. I can see him winning by 30. I just... Probably one I'm not going to get involved with. Do we have time for three more games? Yep. All right, let's let's fire through them. I'm going to give you three good ones here too, because I'm going to three give you three where the spread's not massive, and uh, and, and they're probably what people are wondering how they pick on the bracket challenges. Let's go with Miami versus USC here. USC is about a two point favorite here for bringing up the old DraftKings uh, total on this is one forty point five. So I'll go first on this one. I. I got to tell you, man, USC has been somewhat fortunate to me. I've been watching some of their games in the Pac-12 out here late, and they're winning a lot of the close games. They're not losing them, it seems. They're they're like top 35 in the luck factor here. So they're a little fraudulent, I think. Both teams play well away from home, ranking in the top 50 because of some of their uh, bounces. You know, maybe they're the, maybe they're the providence of the... Uh, uh, of the Pac-12, right? <laughs> the Wisconsin of the Big Ten. But uh, both these teams have uh, three-point shooting advantages over each other. Both of these teams don't stop the three, but they also can shoot the three quite well. Um, th- I think the fact that my th- this is in Greenville, South Carolina, is a massive advantage for Miami. And I think they get it done. I actually think I make Miami the two-point favorite here with a total of about 143. What is your thoughts? Now, with Miami, they do a solid job of being able to shoot threes, but they were quite fortunate in a lot of those games as well. They wound up having that just stunning win over Virginia Tech, the Herculean comeback over Syracuse as well. So this has been a team that they've been one for late-game heroics as well. And I want to make USC a three-and-a-half-point favorite because the big thing with Miami is that they just don't rebound well. And with USC, you've got Isaiah Mobley who's able to give you 13-and-a-half points, eight-and-a-half boards. He shoots right around 38% from three-point shell. The big trepidation I do have with USC is their free-throw shooting. They shoot right around 67%, 
for the year. But in fact, we'll play that was more around 72, 73 percent. So still obviously not great, but they've been a little bit better at the free line. I just think that with Miami having no sides down low, that is going to be a little bit of a disadvantage to them. To the credit of Miami, they don't hurt themselves. They turn the ball over fewer than 10 times per contest. That is in the top 20 in all of college basketball. But here's a stat for you. In the NCAA tournament, Andy Enfield, 10-1 and one against the spread. That is absolutely remarkable because so many people like to poop on Andy Kennedy or Andy Enfield saying, oh, he's not a very good coach and everything like that. He's got the job done for your bankroll in the NCAA tournament. And I think that he's going to be able to get his team up. I think that USC wins from within. And I like USC in this spot. I knew that Andy Enfield stat and I forgot about it. I was, I talked about it a ton last year. <laughs> you know, it makes so much sense, man. Thanks for bringing that up. You know, that's, uh, you know, you, you definitely had a good handicap on that. I gotta tell you, I, I'm going to think a little bit more twi- uh, about the taking Miami side. I just, I, I just don't like USC traveling that far, but you're right. Enfield is a dominant uh, NCAA coach and there is something to that. Let's move on to another game. Virginia Tech versus Texas. Texas minus one, total 123.5. Low total, Greg. Man, I got to tell you, uh, this is going to come down to a defense. I I think this is going to be a very defensive game. And how are the? I I just wonder how the officials are going to call it. What are your thoughts? I do wonder as well. But when it comes to Texas, I did wind up making them a three-point favorite. Marcus Carr has been turning the ball over less for Texas, which I think is a huge advantage for them. Now, Virginia Tech is a team that they really bomb it from three-point range. They're in the top 10 in all of college basketball in terms of three-point shooting percentage. And you take a look at some of these guys like Sean Padula, like Darius Maddox, more ancillary pieces. But these are guys that rank in the top 50 in all of college basketball in terms of three-point shooting percentage. But Texas has been a team that has been very solid at being able to defend all season long, a top 20 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis in Texas. Does a good job of being able to generate steals. A little bit over eight per contest. They have been dealing with having Trey Mitchell unfold, stepping away for personal issues. But you've got a guy in Timmy Allen. I like his game. 12 points, six half rebounds per game. And with Virginia Tech, Kevin Aluma has been solid. And the metrics absolutely love Virginia Tech. And Virginia Tech, they are coming in hot. They did wind up winning the ACC tournament. But the first thing that really goes on you when it comes to some of these big spots is the jump shooting. I think that that could be a little bit of an issue. I think that Texas, with the size that they have out there in the backcourt, could wind up being able to pose some issues for Virginia Tech. So I want to make a Texas a three-point favorite. I like the over as well. I want to say my total at a 130. This is a Virginia Tech team that, even though they, along with Texas, on the bottom 30 with regards to points a lot on a per-possession basis, both of these teams are relatively solid at being able to get some jump shots to be able to go their way. I think that you do wind up getting late-game felling to be able to push this one over as well. So I like the over, and I like Texas. You know, uh, it is a it is such a low total here, and it's getting to the point where it, it'll just go over by accident, right? Yeah. I, I mean, 123.5. This is in San Diego State playing Fresno, right? I mean, this is still some teams that can shoot the ball. I've, I'm so close. I, I'm, I'm with you on this one. I'm so I was so close to betting Texas. My own, the only thing that keeps me away from them is that they rank so bad away from home, and maybe that's because they've been so good at home. But 353 is their home away ranking, and uh, that's that's not good. Being the 353rd team away from home, Virginia Tech should have a three point advantage, ranking seventh in adjusted three point shooting percentage to Texas's uh, defense, adjusted at 90 90th. But Texas should have a massive near proximity 
advantage, right? Rebounding and 45, uh, they rank 45th in close to rim field goal percentage. And uh, Virginia Tech ranking 148th on defense. I think Texas should be able to clean up. Virginia Tech can't be, if they're hitting that ball again, that'd be absolutely insane the way they hit in the ACC tournament. And you have to remember when Duke played them, they only went four for 20 from three point, right? That, uh, that, that's, that's hard to, you know, you're, you're going to lose to anybody doing that. And North Carolina did the same thing. They shot like what, 20%, 15% from three when they had their Virginia tech matchup. So sometimes, uh, you think a team's really improved, but it's just the other team just shot bad, you know, and people need to be able to see through that. I think it's important to the handicap. All right, man. Well, we got to do one more at least, All right. but we got to, we got to do Wisconsin, uh, versus Colgate here out in Milwaukee. Yeah. There you go, buddy. Uh, it's it's eight points. Uh, the total one thirty nine point five. Our beloved Badgers are in a spot. Everybody's like, oh, they're playing at home, but this is the Colgate team that everybody's remembering too. It's not the same team. They're down a couple guys, I think. You would know more. Yep. But they they started out terrible, and then they just just ransacked their conference and destroyed everybody navy was even a pushover at the end for them but man can they can they handle the big guys with wisconsin uh can they handle johnny davis i'm gonna let you go first this is one in which if it were not in the state of wisconsin i'd be considering colgate advancing in my bracket i could not do so because the Wisconsin fans are going to be out in droves for the Badgers. This is a game that is very close to Madison in the great city of Milwaukee. There's going to be a lot of red. Colgate wears red, but it's not going to be for them, unfortunately. With that said, I did wind up making this point spread six because you've got a Colgate team that they're number two in all of college basketball in terms of three-point shooting percentage. One of just two teams shooting over 40% from three-point range. You do have Keegan Records down low. He's able to give you six rebounds per game. I think that he's going to match up okay with Tyler Walsh. I think the wall has a little bit of an advantage there, but the big key for Wisconsin is they are as reliant upon one man as any team in all of college basketball, Johnny Davis. The difference when Johnny Davis is playing good versus bad is as demonstrative as any in all of college basketball. Last we saw Johnny Davis, he did not look to be 100% against Michigan State. Now, I think that he's going to be able to play better in this game. Guy that's able to give you 20 points, eight rebounds, steal an after contest. And interesting fact, with Johnny Davis in road and neutral court games, he shoots right around 40% from three. At home, he shot more around 27 to 28% from three. I have no idea how that winds up working, but he actually played his best basketball outside of the state of Wisconsin. So I think that that is an interesting little tidbit to take a look at. You've got a guy in Nelly coming to when Colgate was struggling. He was turning the ball over quite a bit. And fortunately for him, he's going to be going up against the Wisconsin team that as we know, they just don't really force a lot of turnovers. Both of these teams, both of we saw it at the free line. Wisconsin, they've got a little bit of advantage there, shooting right around 76% at the free line. And I don't think that it should be discredited what Brad Davidson is able to bring to the fold as well. But all in all, I think that the three-point shooting of Colgate, their overall balance, is going to be able to keep them in this game. Wisconsin gets it done outright because they're in their home state. But I made my line six, so I'm going to be willing to take the point with Colgate. Yeah, Wisconsin's good at shooting free throws as long as they're not up by three against Purdue with a few with, with yeah. enough seconds for I. <laughs> I don't know how many bank shots uh, Chucky has left in him, Greg, but uh, I, I agree with you, man. I, this should be a five point spread. I think Wisconsin plays down to their competition, and they play up to their competition. You've seen them win games they probably shouldn't, and you've seen them lose lose or just completely almost lose some really bad games in there. And uh, 
their their big guys are great for rebounding, but they're kind of you know Crowl and Vote and they're 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 statues down there, man. Carlson, <laughs> they just don't move fast enough. I'm kind of hoping that they work on that in the off season here. And Davis, fantastic player, but if he's cold, they can lose to anyone. Davison's got to be the leader of this team, and Davison's gonna got to hit those threes. I think this whole tournament isn't as much as it goes through Johnny Davis, but it's just kind of like how Davison's left open, kicked out from Johnny Davis. Because you know Davis, is, they're going to double-team Johnny Davis. They're, they're going to put a couple guys on yep. him in certain situations. So uh, it's going to go through the three-point shot from Davison. If that's on, they're going to uh, definitely move. But I make this a five-point spread, and uh, it scares me how Wisconsin plays down to their competition. And I'm gonna, I played Colgate, so I'll play them with a few stars here. Definitely agree. Before you go... You mentioned LSU, so you got to tell me, minus four, 127 and a half, real quick, uh, are you going to be playing them? Yep, I'm going to be on LSU in this spot. I think that even with LSU dealing with an interim coaching regime, they're just better than Iowa State. Iowa State, in terms of teams that want to getting in the field, bottom three team with regards to offensive efficiency, a team that really doesn't do a great job on the glass, Terry Easton along Darius Days, combined to be able to give you 31 points, right around 14 rebounds per game, should be able to get it done in. We have seen interim coaches in the past do well in the tournament. Look no further than Steve Fisher. When he wound up leading Michigan all the way to a title as an interim coach, it seems like there's complete buy-in from the LSU players that are remaining there. And I feel like LSU's offensive numbers are a little bit of a case of Medusa in that Xavier Pinson was out of the fold for much of SEC play. They wound up having their warts when they wound up playing without him. Now that he's back out there in the fold, this is a little bit more of an efficient offense. They are dreaming that they turn the ball over quite a bit, but Iowa State, they do a poor job of being able to just have good shot selection in general. And as we know, TJ Altenberger, he's got his issues as well. So it's a spot in which I'm going to be willing to lay with LSU. Set them as an eight-point favorite, actually. Ooh, that's a big difference. Look at I'm, I'm glad I brought that up then, Greg. Man, we're out of time, Greg. Great job. Thank you so much for breaking down the first round of the NCAA tournament. Where can our viewers and our listeners get your great information for the future? At GUnit underscore 81 on Twitter. And then the podcast is going to be going every single day. I break down all the NCAA tournament games, but those are looking for the basketball classic, looking for the NIT, CBI. Got all of those on there as well. Coast to Coast Hoops is a podcast. And we'll find that wherever you get podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and then on VSIN, the Greg Peterson Experience rolls on every Saturday and Sunday, 1 to 4 a.m. Eastern. And you do some baseball, right? Baseball's coming around the corner. Yes, sir. We actually get a clean break this year as well. I don't have to overlap. <laughs> I get a whole two days off to be able to prepare for the baseball season. So here we go. <laughs> Look at that. Two days off for Greg. What is that? What are you going to do with yourself, man? <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. There's a couple of Bud Lights in the fridge that have been waiting to be used up, so I'll probably be doing that. There you go. That's the Wisconsin way. Thank you so much for coming on, Greg. We'll be tweeting at you. I have a great, uh, well, great time watching the games. Best of luck to you, and have some fun. You as well. Thank you so much. All right, my friends. Not going to let you go without one UFC play here today. You know, I'm going to have to go with our guy, Ilya Topuria versus Jay Herberts. Now, Fight Night 204 is on Saturday, and you're probably going to be watching the games, but maybe you can check this guy out. This is just going to be an electrifying fight because Ilya is absolutely dominant. He finishes most of his opponents in the first round, 
if you look at his last seven fights, first round, first round, first round, first round, then this one went the distance against Yusef Zilal, but Yusef's a great uh, grappler, you know, and the rest of these guys are mostly stand-up fighters, and so is Jay Herbert. So Jai Herbert is not going to have a chance against Ilya, in my opinion. I think this is a fast finish here. Ilya's got a lot of hype on him, but I really buy into this hype. And Jai's only had two UFC fights. He lost his first one by getting choked out. Heck, Ilya's great at submissions. Ilya's got seven submissions and three KOs, right? And uh, then he beat uh, Kama Worthy. So not a massive win for him. I don't think Worthy's any good. So Ilya is going to take care of business in the first round. You're going to get probably plus 150, plus 140 on that is what I'm seeing right now. So grab Ilya first round plus 140 for one star. All right, my friends, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you have any questions for me, please tweet me at Obikiev or tweet us at The Odds Breakers. A huge thanks to our guest, Mr. Kyle Hunter and Mr. Greg Peterson. They did a fantastic job. Everybody enjoy the tournament. It's going to be a fun one. There's going to be some serious upsets, hopefully some Cinderella's, and go get some winners.